46 through 52. And this year we'll end our time in chapter 10. We've been in chapter 10 now for five plus weeks. And we are coming to the end here. And not only are we ending our time in the gospel in chapter 10, but we're also going to be seeing the last miracle that Mark records in his gospel. As Jesus continues to make his way to Jerusalem now, we have this last miracle here. And depending on your translation, how you read the cursing of the fig tree, some will say that this is definitely the last healing miracle that we see in the gospel of Mark. And some will say the last miracle period. But nonetheless, we are here in chapter 10. We are going to be seeing the healing the restored to the sight of Bartimaeus, and this is not the first time that we see Mark mention the healing of someone's sight. We saw this again in chapter 8, verses 22 to 26, and Mark decides that he's going to repeat him, so he's going to share another story, and even though they are similar, they're also very different. The first being that this is the only instance we'll see in the gospel of Mark, really in the gospels, where the name of the person being healed is given to us. And all the other healings that we see and all the other miracles, we're not told who. But for some reason, Mark decides to give us the guy's name of who's actually being healed. And we see that this is different than we saw in chapter 8 because Jesus lays hands on chapter 8. And here, he simply speaks and the man's sight is restored. And the significance for this healing as well is the story that it follows. If you were with us last week, we were in verses 35 through 45. And in there, we saw James and John make a request of Jesus. And Jesus responds to them by asking them a question. And then he responds by giving them a teaching on what it means, what true discipleship is. Here, we'll see that that question that Jesus asked James and John in verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? He asked that same exact question of Bartimaeus in verse 51. And what we'll see is that the response of both, of James and John, is drastically different than what we see Bartimaeus responds to that question. And so we're going to dive in today in our scripture. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. If you don't have a Bible, the Seats in front of you have a Bible. You can use it. You can turn to page 847. We're going to be reading God's word. And the main idea today, anything I want you to leave with today is this, that we have a Savior who hears our cries, who calls us to himself, and who extends grace and mercy to us. We have a Savior who hears our cries, who calls us to himself, and who extends grace and mercy to us. We're going to read Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called to the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. 
And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your mercy and grace, Father. We thank you that we have a God that not only loves us, but hears us. Here's our cries, Father, and you call us to yourself, Father. We thank you for that, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the grace that we have today, that being able to gather as a church family, Lord, and and sit inside away from the elements and and sing songs of praise and, and to pray towards you, Father, and to sit under the preaching of your word. There are thousands and millions of Christians who don't have that opportunity this morning, Father, and we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, we pray for our time together. May be a time of edification, maybe a time of growth, maybe a time of, of, of transforming our mind, Father. We pray for those who aren't with us today, Lord. Keep them safe as they are traveling, Father. We pray for the children and children's church, Father, as they are being exposed to the truths of your scripture and to the gospel, Father. We pray for their salvation, Father. Lord, we pray for our time together. We ask that you eliminate any distractions as we spend the next several moments in your word, Father. Help us to grow in knowledge. Help us to grow in understanding. Help us to grow in mercy and grace, Father. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be edifying and glorifying to you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture today begins with... Jesus and his disciples, and we see a great crowd following him, and they are coming into Jericho. And this is the New Testament Jericho. This is not the same Jericho that that first comes to mind from the Old Testament, the city that Joshua and the Israelites go, and where God has them walk around the building, and that the walls come tumbling down. This is not the same Jericho that, 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 as that. This is a new rebuilt Jericho. This Jericho is about two miles or so south of the old Jericho. It's still there. It's kind of in ruins now. But this Jericho is a new Jericho. This one is about 15 to 18 miles away from Jerusalem. That's a quick note. Just This is a new Jericho. And maybe that is why, as you, if you were listening to our scripture reading this morning... Luke writes his account, and he says, as they are entering Jericho, this healing occurs. And if you are listening here, Mark says that they are leaving Jericho. And this simply could be a fact that there's two Jerichos in mind here. Maybe Luke is talking about as they're leaving one, they're entering the other, or vice versa. It could be somewhere in between, and it's not something to get caught up on, but that is the explanation on why we see They seem to be placing this miracle at two different places, but they are leaving Jericho. And as they leave Jericho, we are introduced to a man named Bartimaeus. And we are told that Bartimaeus is blind and that he is a beggar and he is sitting on the roadside. Usually beggars sit on the roadside because they are collecting Givings. People are giving them offerings. They don't have a job. He's not able to work. He's not able to provide for himself. So he sits along the side of the road. And this is a heavy traffic area. This is on the way. Jericho's on the way to Jerusalem. And a lot of people are, at this time, making the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. And that is why specifically that Bartimaeus is sitting here. And he's collecting alms, if you will. And as the crowd approaches, as Jesus approaches, we read this interaction between 
Bartimaeus, and Jesus. And this brings me to point number one. True faith sees Jesus for who he truly is and desperately and continuously seeks after him. True faith sees Jesus for who he truly is and desperately and continuously seeks after him. We read in verse 47 that, that he heard that it was Jesus as Nazareth. And as we saw in the account of Luke, he's asking, he hears this commotion. This blind man is sitting there, and all of a sudden he can just hear a great crowd of people coming towards him. And he's like, what is this noise? What is this commotion? And he starts asking about what's happening. What is all this going on? And the people respond to him. It is Jesus of Nazareth. And something clicks in Bartimaeus immediately. That's all he has to hear. This is Jesus of Nazareth. And he recognizes the name. He's heard about this Jesus before. He realizes that who he is. This is the Jesus that has been healing people. This is the Jesus that has been restoring people's sight. And it clicks to him who he truly is. And he cries out here, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There's significance in what Bartimaeus screams out or cries out towards Jesus, calling him the son of David. And this is really the only instance in the Gospel of Mark outside of Bartimaeus repeating himself in verse 20 and 48 that we see this title be given to to Jesus, son of David. And as several commentators noted, this is a messianic term. He is acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah. He is calling him Christ. And we're not, no, we don't know as R. Kent Hughes says that Bartimaeus was, he wasn't no theologian. Maybe he didn't understand the implications. But what we did have is this exalted conclusion about who this Jesus of Nazareth is. And that is the Christ, the Messiah. So he calls out, son of David, have mercy on me. And that alone, we see a difference in response between Bartimaeus and James and John. Bartimaeus approached Jesus with a sense of entitlement. They're asking for power. They're asking for authority. And Bartimaeus cries out, and all he simply says is, have mercy on me. There is no entitlement to Bartimaeus' cry. He just sees Jesus for who he truly is, and that is the Messiah who has come to save and who has come to bring healing and wholeness to his people. And seeing Jesus for who he truly is, the Messiah, he desperately cries out, have mercy on me. And we see in verse 48 that the crowd around him are trying to quiet him. They rebuke him. They tell him to be silent. We're not told why they tell him to be silent. Maybe they're wanting to hear the teachings of Jesus. Maybe they they don't want Jesus to be bothered by Bartimaeus. This is a blind man for all we know. He's less significant than the rest of them. He was a lowly person. He was an outcast to the rest of society. So they're telling him, no, be quiet. He's not going to bother with you. And this isn't the first time we see this type of attitude towards the less fortunate, the lowly of the society. We saw it again earlier in chapter 10 as the children were coming. They were trying to keep them away from Jesus because he couldn't be bothered with them. That's the same type of mindset we see here by rebuking him and telling him to be silent. They understood. They knew who Bartimaeus was. They knew his plight. They just did not care. They understood what Bartimaeus, why he was crying out. 
But they couldn't be bothered by that. And as John MacArthur notes, that in Jewish theology, someone who is blind, they view that as someone who is being cursed because of their sin. That is God's curse on them. They are sin, they have sinned, and that is why they are blind. And so they tell him, Be quiet. Let us hear. Let us talk. He does, he's not going to be bothered by you. Bartimaeus understands this as well. He understands that he is a sinner, which is precisely why he cries out, have mercy on me. And as the crowd continues to try to silence Bartimaeus, he doesn't go quiet. He is persistent in his calling out. We see that he cried out all the more. He cries out again, and perhaps even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd doesn't silence him. He gets louder. We see here that Bartimaeus saw Jesus for who he truly was, and nothing was going to keep him from calling out. Nothing was going to keep him from coming to the Messiah. He is persistent. This is a sign, if you will, of Bartimaeus' faith, that he saw who Jesus was as the Messiah, and he was desperately, and he was seeking him continuously. He was calling out to Jesus. Nothing was going to stop him, not the crowd, not his situation, he was going to call out no matter what. Have mercy on me. And we see that Jesus hears him. That gets us to point number two. True faith responds to Jesus' call and follows after Jesus. Verse 49. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. Bartimaeus' repeated cry out to Jesus, repeated cry out to the son of David to have mercy on him, stopped Jesus in his tracks. King James says that he stood still. The moment that he heard, he just stopped. And the crowd around him stopped. And he responds to the person who is suffering. He hears their cries. He sees the suffering individual just like he saw the hemorrhaging woman and stopped and felt the presence. He took the time out for those lowly individuals in the society. And he hears Bartimaeus' cry. And he hears his pleas. And we see that Jesus hears him. He hears him and he stops. Call him. We have a Savior whose ear is open to our prayers. We see this in 1 Peter 3.12, that he hears us. And Jesus hearing Bartimaeus' cry, his declaration, he calls him. He calls them to himself, just like he does in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He is calling Bartimaeus to himself. And the crowd knew exactly. Jesus didn't have to say, call that man who is coming to call who said that. He didn't have to explain himself. Jesus simply said, call him. And the crowd knew exactly who Jesus was talking about. And we see that the crowd's response changes drastically towards Bartimaeus. They go from rebuking him, saying, silent, be quiet, to now saying, take heart, have courage, cheer up, brother. He, get up, he is calling you. Jesus stopping and hearing and calling Bartimaeus to himself changes everything about his situation. The crowd changes on Bartimaeus. They no longer tell him to be quiet, but to cheer up. And we see the response that Bartimaeus has to being called by the Messiah. 
This is a response that we, as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be mimicking Bartimaeus' response when the Messiah calls us. There is no hesitance to Bartimaeus' response. He gets up immediately. We're told that he throws off his cloak and he springs up to his feet. He jumps up to his feet. He can't see. He doesn't know where Jesus is. All he's told was that Jesus is calling you and he springs up to his feet and he goes towards him. And we're told that he cast his cloak off of him. This isn't just a regular piece of clothing for the people at this time. The cloak was often used to keep you warm at night. This was the outer layer of their garment. And for a beggar, this is what they used to collect their alms, to collect the food and the, and the gifts and the money that the people give them. They would go out, find a spot along the side of the road, and they'll lay out the garment in front of them. And they start to, and people would give their collections onto the cloak. And we're told here that this is basically, we see that this is a lifeline for Bartimaeus and beggars. But we're told that he throws it aside. He casts it away. There is a sense of zeal behind Bartimaeus' actions here. The Messiah is calling him, and nothing is going to stop him from coming to him. There's a force that we don't see here that he throws. He just tosses it aside, throwing off his cloak. He springs up. There's an eagerness. There's a desperation to, to Bartimaeus jumping up as the Messiah calls him. To come. And this is how we should respond. This is what we can be doing. That the moment that the Lord calls us, the moment this is how we should be approaching God with a sense of zeal and eagerness and desperation the moment He calls us. That's what we can learn from this, from Bartimaeus. We should have an eagerness and desperation for the Lord. We should always be coming to the Lord with open hearts and open minds, and open hands, eager to learn from him. And we see, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus asked Bartimaeus the same question that he does of, John, of James and John. In verse 51, he says, What do you want me to do for you? And immediately, just from the very first word that Bartimaeus says, we see a complete difference of heart towards Jesus than we do of James and John. We see he calls him rabbi, or depending on your translation, you may say rabbi. The NSB says, and I prefer that translation because there is a difference here between rabbi and rabbi, even if it's just a minor difference. Rabbi could simply mean teacher or professor, where rabbi is better translated as my master, my teacher. So in essence, by calling him rabbi or rabbi, Bartimaeus is saying, my master, my teacher, restore my sight. This speaks to this knowledge that somehow Bartimaeus understands who he is talking to, who has called him. He is acknowledging Jesus as the Lord, as the Messiah. He's saying literally, my master, my Lord, let me recover my sight. He understood precisely the authority in which Jesus walked. And he responds appropriately 
where James and John last week were kind of arrogant and they were requesting something. They felt like they, they were owed something. Bartimaeus saying, I have nothing. You are my Lord. You are my master. Let me recover my sight. He's, in essence, he is submitting himself to the authority of Jesus by simply calling him Rabbanai. He has this right understanding of who this Jesus of Nazareth is. He is not mistaken. He's not asking for status. He's not asking for recognition. He's not asking for power. He's not even asking to be delivered from the poverty that he most likely is living in. He simply calls, let me regain my sight. The implication here is perhaps he wasn't born blind, but at some point in his life, he lost his sight. And he's asking the Lord, let me recover my sight. And Bartimaeus asked this with a sense of expectation that he knows who he's asking this of and that the Lord will answer his plea. The Lord will answer his prayer. And we see that Jesus does answer him. In verse 52, he says, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him along the way. Jesus answers Bartimaeus' plea, his request, immediately. Last week we saw that he answers the request of James and John by asking them a question and then giving them a teaching, never really giving them an answer to their request. But here Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. He sight was restored immediately. The healing here, the word that we see here, that your, go your way, your faith has made you well. It's twofold. Made you well in the sense that his restoration of his sight also made you well in the sense that he is now spiritually saved. The Greek word here is sozo, which is at times used to signify when someone is healed of a sickness. We see that we saw that in, in Mark chapter 5, verse 34, when Jesus heals Jairus' daughter, and he says, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And we understand that he was healed because his sight was restored immediately. But also, as Eckhart Schnabel notes, the sozo can also mean he was saved in a spiritual sense of eternal life. He was given the treasure in heaven, and he is now entering the kingdom of God. We see it used in that way in 1 Timothy 1.15, where it says that Christ came into this world to save sinners. So by saying, go, your faith has made you will, not only is his sight restored, but now he is saved. He has been given eternal life. The last thing I want us to see is Bartimaeus' response to this healing, if you will. We're told that he followed him along the way. This following along the way, as James Brooks puts it, it's a technical term for discipleship. Now that he has been healed... Now that his sight is restored, now that, he is a fo- now that he is saved, he is now a follower. He is a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this is probably the reason why Mark gives us the name Bartimaeus here. 
Because the people that Mark is writing to probably are familiar with this name. They probably was a part of their church. And so this is why we see the name. Where in other instances we don't. Because this man, Bartimaeus, now becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. He follows him along the way. So we see here in this brief encounter, the Bartimaeus shows us what the life of a disciple, what discipleship is. It's this idea that we have all been blind at one point. We have all have been in need of the Lord's mercy and grace in our lives. We have all been in need of a Savior, and then our eyes are open, and we can truly see Jesus for who he is, and that is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. And as upon our eyes being opened, we now acknowledge Jesus for his authority. And we come to a saving faith in Jesus. And we have this experience, this transformative power of the gospel. And now we commit ourselves to following Jesus. We commit ourselves to being his disciples. That's the trajectory of the Christian. We go from, from being being evil and being against God to now being a disciple of Christ. And we understand that our salvation is not just a one-time thing. It wasn't over for Bartimaeus here. He continued. This is an ongoing process. He followed Jesus along the way. He became a disciple. We are being continuously sanctified. We understand that, that our salvation is not yet complete. That we are still walking towards our salvation and that it will be complete on the day that Jesus comes back. We see that in Romans 13 verses verses 11. We see it in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. That we are still walking towards our salvation. That it is not yet complete. And that we are called to be disciples of Christ. That this is an ongoing process. We are called to a life of Discipleship, a life of following Jesus along the path. And we understand this is not a small calling. This isn't something that we are to take lightly. As we saw last week, we are told to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross in Mark 8.34. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Bartimaeus leaves his life behind, doesn't bother telling anyone. He simply gets up is able to see, is saved, and simply just starts following Jesus towards his death, making his way towards Jerusalem. That's what we're called to do. We're called to follow him in the midst of good, in in the midst of bad, when life is great and when life is horrible. We're still called to be disciples of Christ. That doesn't change according to anything. We are called to be a disciple of Christ, even if that means giving our lives for him. That's the call. And we do that willingly. We follow Christ, even though it doesn't give us anything outside of eternal life. We follow Christ, even though nothing great is promised for us here, because we understand what Christ has done for us. We understand that we've been given saving faith, and that turns us into disciples. James Edward writes, a faith that does not lead to discipleship is not true faith. Faith that does not lead to discipleship is not true faith. And so as people, we have to put our trust in the works of Christ. And we become his disciples. The moment we do that, the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we become his disciples. It's not optional. It's not a check thing that we can do. 
something that we, we are called to do. We must follow him on the way, the way Bartimaeus does here. So as we close today, for those listening or here who have not done that yet, who have not given their life to Christ, the mercy and grace that we see here afforded to Bartimaeus can also be yours, can be given to you. We see that Bartimaeus was a blind beggar, that he was ignored by the rest of his society, that everyone around him did not care. He was insignificant to him, to them. But he wasn't insignificant to the Lord. The only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is one is aware of the fact that we need saving. That there is nothing we do on our own that can give us our salvation. That we need to rely on the works of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. While the other chooses to ignore that fact. Even though it's evident all around them, they choose to ignore the fact that they are in need of saving. Everyone, myself included, we all start off like Bartimaeus, in need of God's mercy, blinded, if you will, to our sins. We understand that, that no one does good. We can see Bartimaeus in his cry when he says, have mercy on me. He understood that he was a sinner. And that's what the non-Christian has to understand, that you are a sinner in need of mercy, in need of grace. Paul, when he quotes David from the Psalm 53, writes, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not one. That's true of everyone. That we are all evil, wretched people because of what we have inherited through Adam. And that everyone left to their own selves deserves to spend the rest of eternity separated from God in, the ra- in, in hell in the presence of God's wrath. And if unless you are, unless your faith, unless your trust is in the works of Christ, that is where you'll end up. So the non-Christian, you have to understand that, that you are incapable of helping yourself. There is nothing that you bring to the table. The Lord doesn't look at your life and says, this is a redeeming factor. This is a redeeming quality. They are saved by debt. There's nothing we bring to the table. And so we are all destined for hell. But God of the universe, in his merciful, in his love, and his grace, gives us a way out. And that is through his son, Jesus Christ, who comes from heaven, takes on the nature of man, never losing his divinity, being fully man and fully God, walks this earth and is sinless, goes through this life never once sinning, never once lying, never once being angry for no reason, lives a perfect and sinless life, and then willingly goes to the cross as we see over the next several weeks as he walks his way, as he makes the entrance and he's going to his death, to his crucifixion willingly and takes the punishment that is yours, that is mine and it's laid on his shoulders for your sake and we are earned, we have have been given forgiveness for our sins because of what Christ has done, that is he has died on the cross for sinners and it doesn't just end there but then he rises again three days later And through his resurrection, we now can have eternal life. 
we can spend the rest of eternity with the God of the universe. But you must first put your faith and trust in the works of Christ. Romans 10 says, if we confess our sins with our mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You have to repent. You have to turn from your sins and confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead and you will be saved. So if you haven't done that, if you're not sure what that means or you're eager, you want to know more about what it means to put your faith and trust in the works of Christ, you can see me after the service. You can see Pastor West or anyone who was up here today. We would love to talk to you about what it means to confess our sins, what it means to put our faith, and what it means to put our trust in the works of Christ. Don't let another day go by without having that conversation. And to the believers, we are now, those of us are saved, those of us who consider ourselves saved, those of us who put our trust in the works of Christ, we are now disciples of Christ. And as disciples of Christ, we are to grow in Christ-likeness. We are to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, Romans 8.30. We are, what does that mean? That means that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are to be working out our faith with fear and trembling. We are to follow the example that Christ has laid for us. We have Examples all throughout church history who modeled this for us. Paul says, be imitators of me, for I am an imitator of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. We are called as disciples to be imitators of God. Ephesians 5.1. And as disciples, we must, we must be doing that. We must mimic Christ. We must be his hands and feet. We have to live our lives the way Christ did here. And we see in our verse today, he doesn't ignore the cries. He hears the cries from amongst the crowd. And he responds by truly helping and healing those who are hurting, those who are in need, those who are less fortunate. He stops. That is what his ministry, his earthly ministry is marked by that. Him stopping for those who are in need of saving, those who are in need of healing, those who are in need of hearing the good news. We should be hearing the cries all around us of those hurting. But are we too busy at times to hear them? Do we just keep walking when those around us are crying out who are, or when those around us are in need? Do we ignore them? Are we too busy or do, or do we stop? the way Jesus did. Jesus didn't have to stop for Bartimaeus. He's literally on the path to his death. But he hears the cry of someone in need and he stops. We need to start to see people the way Jesus does. As those who are in need of saving those who are in need of the gospel, those who are in need of a savior, our hearts. There's an old song that I used to listen to and hear when I first became a believer back in 2005. And there was a line that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Is that, that should be our prayer, that when we look out into this world today, 
We should see people the way Jesus does. Our hearts should break for them. We should be eager to serve them. We should be eager to share the gospel with them. We shouldn't just walk. And I'm not talking about only meeting the physical needs of, of those who are in need. That is a part of it. But that's not the only thing that we are called to do. There are plenty of organizations out there that does that. That meets the needs of those. There's even Christian ones. And we should to some extent be seeking to do that. But oftentimes the problem is you've got one or the other. You've got organizations meeting the physical need of people but not giving them Christ. Or people only wanting to give one aspect of it and not the other. We have to be the hands and feet of Jesus as well as the voice of Jesus. We go out into this world, we meet people's needs, and we give them the gospel. We see them the way Jesus sees them. That's what we're called to do. That's, we're familiar with the parable of the last judgment in Matthew 25 where Jesus is giving this parable to his disciples and we see that he separates the goat from the sheep. And the goat he separates to the left and the sheep he separates to the right. And he says to the sheep, I'm going to read it. Kind of lengthy, but it's all right. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goat's on the left. And then the king will say to those on the right, come. You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was a prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, naked and clothed you? When did we seek you? in prison, and visit you. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And he goes on to tell the left that they ignored him. And then he says to them, Truly I say to you, when you did not do it for the one of least of these, you did not do it to me. Point being, he's calling them that we are to care and love and see people the way Jesus does giving them hope, giving them, meeting their needs, but also giving them the gospel. We see here Jesus teaches us to stop. And so the question for you today, church, is what side are you going to be on? The right or the left? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you. Thank you for the mercy and grace that you've been given to us. We understand that the only reason we're able to be here today, the only reason we're able to see you for who you are is because of the gift that you've given us, Father. The the air that we are breathing right now, the ability to get out of our bed this morning, was all a gift from you, Father. It was all your mercy over our lives, Father. Lord, help us to see the mercy and grace in our lives, Father, and help us to extend that mercy and grace to this dying and needy world, Father. Help us to be your hands, help us to be your feet, and help us to be your voice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
As we come to the conclusion of our service this morning, church, let's at this time prepare our hearts and our minds